With single-minded glee, Jingles dashed through the mud and joined his master along the way. In the early morning hours before everyone had risen, it had rained. Having been outside chasing rabbits, he dripped with rainwater. He shook, spraying them with muddy water from his fur. Bounding backward, Lexi wiped his eyes clear. Indeed, if we pretend to be the great unwashed, your dog has provided ample cover. Untouched, Zorna protected himself with a bubble of air. Zorna closed the bag from which the air had blown. About to slip it back into his pocket, he glimpsed Tom. I bet you're wondering, Zorna said. I call it a windbag. Some say I named it after myself. For it is not unlike yourself, Zorna, quipped General Reptog as the man stopped at the front of the main house. Let us not walk into the kitchen, Muddy. Mama will throw a skillet at us, and she's pretty accurate, <laughs> laughed Tom. The men laughed while wiping as much of the mud away as they could as they made the way across the farmhouse. The smell of the bacon, ham, bread, and eggs preceded their entry through the kitchen door. A cacophony of chattering voices and laughter grew as they entered the open refractory, a long, prepared dining table set at its center. Nicholas met them at the door. My, my, Nicholas, you surprise me, Wallace said, coming from behind. His men stood aside. Moving apart into the room, Wallace and his men circled the cedar dining table. From one end of the room to the other, the long table easily sat fifty men comfortably. On either side, a bench ran parallel to the length of the table. Taking in all he saw, Wallace strode to the end of the table. He peered down the table to the other end of the room. Two great armchairs, ornately carved by Tom's own hands, sat at either end. Wallace's fingers brushed the fine wood of the one before him. The artisanship, flawless. Joseph wandered to the east wall, where he glimpsed a stained glass window overlooking the garden. Below, abutting the right edge of the sink, was a water pump, its handle autonomously swinging vertically, pumping water. Situated below the pump, three conjoined bins filled with water for washing dishes and vegetables. Joseph gazed at the pump handle with amazement. See, it pumps without a touch of a hand. A quizzical expression on Joseph's brow. His hand hovered above the handle, approaching to see Master Wizard Zorna examining the self-moving handle. Exactly how is this working? asked Zorna. Tasking to delineate the spell, he watched as water flowed from the spigot. Sidling next to Zorda, his face just as quizzical, the general's eye cut to a tiny pink and green light, well above the handle. Not sunlight, not reflected light, 
a flyspeck of light danced up and down. Lexi moved closer to see a little dancing light. The closer he got, the more he stared. Inside the glare, he delineated the tiniest woman he had ever seen. Can you see her? Lexi said. Has anyone seen her? Long, blonde hair. She had called in a dress made of golden and green, reflecting the forest pattern. She has four wings, four little wings on her back, he muttered. Amused, he leaned and tittered and, and smiled faintly, his eyes nearly crossing while converging on the tiny creature. His bearded face so close, his mild breath made her hovering wobble. She's a color sprite, you ninny, the general arrogantly snapped, speaking with feigned authority. What's wrong with you? Have you never seen a woman doing dishes? His back straight, he stepped backward from the pump, staring. Why, if that's the case, dear, a sorry excuse for a man. Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. Welcome back to Conversations with the Authors. I'm your host, Daniel. And I'm Daryl. And I'm Sandra. And thank you, dear listeners and readers, for pressing the play button. Uh, thank you to Alexander Nakarada for um, the wonderful intro, as always. Uh, today, uh, what you've heard was a reading from Chapter 6 of your book, The Highly Rated Eric Hoffer-nominated sci-fi fantasy novel, How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. So my first thought, uh, Sandy, is, um, you know, food seems to be um, sort of a motif of yours. You often mention food and you mention uh, sights and smells. And So where did the idea for this, this sort of sequence, this as a film reference, but uh, this, this story idea come from? Probably from growing up in my house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Food is a family function. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So anybody who walked through the door was part of the family if they were going to mm-hmm. eat in the house. Which is very, <laughs> by the way, uh, dear listeners and readers, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year for those of you who are listening. Because by the time you receive this, it will be just about time. So consider this podcast our gift to you. So family, food, holidays, it's all part of... Uh, how Nicholas became Santa Claus. Now, Daryl, Santa Claus is the end point for how Nicholas became Santa Claus, as the title, you know, tells us. So this is not a Santa Claus story. This is about Nicholas. So scenes like this, uh, why is it so important for you to emphasize that they're um, you know, having ham and, and this and that. And later in the book, you mentioned uh, buttermilk and such. Why is that? Uh, why was that important for you? In the end, how does that? I, I think we wanted to use real food. Mm-hmm. You know, basic food, mm-hmm. the type that you might see uh, uh, on a farm. Yes, yeah. The mm-hmm. Type of things farmers would use, and and those those hands that work with them. Peasant mm-hmm. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now the uh, the the scene itself reminds me, even though it's not necessarily 
I mean, it's not a holiday scene, but it reminds me of the holidays. Was that an inspiration for you, or was it sort of happenstance? It was kind of intentional. It, uh-huh. it was kind of intentional. It was. Uh, we associate the holidays mm-hmm. with lots of food and mm-hmm. and get-togethers and those types mm-hmm. of things. It, and I think in the spirit of the of the story, we just wanted to have uh, a get-together of all the, the mm-hmm. principals and uh, the and the, other people that are important uh, to that farm and to the story together, at so, least uh, to share, break some bread together. Mm-hmm. And you always associate a farm with food. Right. You grow food, you eat food. I mean, food, that's what farms do, right? Right. Make mm-hmm. food, you have to eat food mm-hmm. to get to have enough energy so, to go to work. So, obviously, uh, you know, the food is, is it's just sort of a plot device uh, to, you know, get our characters together, as you say. Uh, but um, in writing, um, food can have many, many meanings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can. It can. You know, it can. You know, I can. You can draw parallels between food and other elements in your mm-hmm. story. Metaphors and similes involving food can add richness. You know, and there's a lot of descriptions. And there's a lot of cultural significance to food, too. Uh, if you're familiar with Japanese cinema or uh, manga or anime or anime, however you want to call it, uh, uh, food is significant. And food is poignant. It's, it's in the forefront of their storytelling. It's not necessarily, you know, background noise, so to speak. And I wouldn't say that food in your story is background noise either, uh, because I think it speaks to the character... Um, you know, providing this food to the other characters, I think mm-hmm. it, it 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 speaks to their nature and who they are. That it's part of their giving and wanting to nurture and right. uh, yeah. I think there there. This is just one of uh, several uh, instances where we we run across food in the story. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, but people mm-hmm. eat, right? Yes, everybody eats. And, um, and you mentioned cultural significance. Uh, well, you know, it's food can be used to showcase the traditions and mm-hmm. rituals and, and social norms. Right, and and it can have uh, its own sort of underlying meaning. It's some, a symbolic um, idea to mm-hmm. it. Um, for instance, going back to the Japanese culture, say you take a bowl of rice and you take a you know, you jam a pair of chopsticks down the center, now you have something that looks like incense, which is a symbol of death because you see them in funerals. So that's considered, you know, rude and it's considered improper because it, it, it's, it's inviting that sort of thing into the the room, uh, for lack of a better term. I'm, I'm not an aficionado on Japanese society, but I do a bit of reading here and there, and that's what I've come to interpret. Um, so, uh, does food play a cultural role for your magical characters, your oddlings? Is this, is it, was that something that you sort of woven into them? Or? Yes, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> they live in a magical forest. Mm-hmm. The and Orphic Forest. The Orphic mm-hmm. Forest. Mm-hmm. And the, everything in the Orphic Forest is either edible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Medicinal, mm-hmm. used for building things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. used for living in. When you think of food, holiday, and traditions, that sets a, a kind of atmosphere. And when you go in, like when you go into to visit a relative 
on a holiday. You go in there and then you're hit with the aromas and the right, smells yes. and the things. And you know, smell is one of our the olfactory yes. apparatus is one of our most important uh, uh, memory devices. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it triggers memories, it triggers those flash memories. Like if you smell pecan pie or something, yes, you know, and it you know, reminds I, you of the holiday. I think the interesting <laughs> thing about that, uh, and being a chef, uh, I I look at food as a a medium for connectivity. You know, we connect to our loved ones, we connect to the past. You know, we uh, we console our. Our, our loved ones and we celebrate with them using food and just like your story which transports us to another world fantastically food does the same thing and I think the food in your story being as you said sort of common food food that people can get their hands on mm. if you happen to be reading the story and eating that you know or drinking buttermilk or whatever while reading the story you're, you're again you're sort of pulled in a little more than you might expect. You might expect. It it really stimulates your imagination, uh, be, because the, the aromas and the smells and the tastes come to you. Yes. And we've all had uh, experiences with some favorite food, and it just it brings an an air of the the kitchen or the or the dining room to you, and just puts you in a different place. I think. You know, especially when you describe the smells and things. There's even mm -hmm. a special place for foods that you dislike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's even a special purpose for one particular green vegetable in our story. Yes. You know, and I, I, I'm thinking about it, and uh, you know, cinema, particularly, especially as kids, we see these um, scenes, for instance, Harry Potter, and they have the Great Hall, and it's filled with food, and Underneath, you see the um, the house elves and sort of making the food and prepping the tables so that they can magically teleport it upstairs uh, into a you know magical setting. Uh, in Hook, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, Bangarang, you know, you're using your imagination and this whole feast is set before you. And I think as a kid, you know, kids are food motivated. I think that it brings a different element into the story for children. Right. But it's not. It's not. I mean, it's not a kid's story. You didn't write a kid's story. This no. is no, a we, story we, of war. We we, we we wrote a story for all people mm -hmm. and the, and the kid that lives within yeah. them. I think and we all have the child within us, right? Yeah, I think that's uh -huh. the key. We wanna, yeah. When reading this story, it's the child within you mm -hmm. that reacts to this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, while it is appropriate to read it to a child there's nothing in there that I mean it's gonna as long as you're reading it with your parents I mean that, there's nothing that's in there that's some of which you, you know, but that, there's that makes you know there's that connectivity that that resonance we talk about now go ahead Daryl you were no I, I was gonna say that's that's uh, some of uh, you know that attribute having that child within you is what made Harry Potter so mm -hmm. so popular even with adults mm -hmm. uh, because you could you could uh, you could really trigger that child in you and the imagination, and you can really fly with it. I mean, I think that speaking of the child within you, the child without seeing Nicholas uh, young, uh, he exhibits all of these sort of inner child things that us adults have, and I think you captured it so well. Uh, and do you do you attribute that to your success as a psychiatrist? 
working with young minds and sort of understanding them, or do you attribute that more to being a parent of um, s several children? <laughs> or is it a combination of the two? I think, it, I think it's a combination. But I'll tell you, before I was uh, a psychiatrist, I was, uh, I was a parent. Mm -hmm. So, and I used to be a child too. Mm -hmm. And as I used to say, as I always say to my patients, every adult that I've ever had used to be a child. Right. right. You know, so we have that within us. And so we just wanted to tap into that, you know, that imagination and to that, uh, those aromas and things mm -hmm. that, that bring you back and to I these wanted, memories. I wanted to strive for the recognition mm -hmm. that the things we take for granted mm -hmm. every day are our magical mm -hmm. blessings they are the magic of our family of our day of mm -hmm. of our life mm -hmm. it's the, the idea that magic is in and around us all the time constantly you just have to recognize and now speaking of tapping into do did you feel that writing uh nicholas uh particularly when in his early years did you feel as though you know you sort of tapped into that parent that was back then when you were raising young children, or did did you reconnect with that writing the story? I think we kind of had to to some degree. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think so. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of remembering times with grandma and grandpa and mm -hmm. great grandma and great 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 grandpa mm -hmm. and great 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 grandma. Uh, one of my Mary's ability to accept everybody mm -hmm. was kind of based on my great great not too many greats though no. ain't that that two greats <laughs> right grandma who um although they were great right. as in wonderful if, if, if yeah, you, that's right <laughs> if you were younger than mm -hmm. 15 right she would greet you with a kiss and an apron if you were a girl mm -hmm. so you got a kiss on the forehead as she was wrapping an apron around your mm -hmm. as, as your body, and then she would hand you either a broom or a spoon and say, "Here, right. you're sweeping, you're stirring." Ah, right. oh, she was very domesticated. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that uh, that reconnection did that did that surprise you at all, Daryl? Getting into the story and and reworking these scenes that Sandy had written, did you find yourself sort of reconnecting to things that you didn't expect to reconnect to, or? Well, I I connected the way I expected to, mm -hmm. and we wrote those scenes together. And uh, I uh, I was prepared for that, and uh, it was quite pleasant, actually. You know, it's uh, I think any of you listeners out there, if you remember the smells and the tastes of the holidays, you know, it gives you a special feeling, and you remember what Grandma used to make, or Mom used to make, or even what Dad used to make. And uh, it it brings it right back to you again, you know, when when you when you think about it, and when you hear those wonderful Christmas songs. Even the days when it wasn't a holiday, the conversations of the men of the house around coffee, tea, and beer, mm -hmm. the uh, women in the house peeling potatoes and shucking peas mm -hmm. and singing songs and, yeah. and rocking a baby is you know, if, if we're, if we're painting an old-fashioned picture for you that's the way it used to be
dear listeners and reader if you if you uh, you want to reconnect if you want to re-experience this sort of feeling it's a, an idea of the holiday or just trying to figure out now not who Santa is but who he was pick up a copy of How Nicholas Became Santa Claus you can visit our Facebook page at troopbooks.com our X our Instagram and uh, we can direct you to um, where you can pick up a copy of uh, or a hardcover or a softcover of uh, How Nicholas Became Santa Claus and hopefully next time I can speak with you next time on Conversations with the Authors Thank you.